Hello, and welcome to episode 21 of the Posecast with Rabbi Shmuel Poser and myself, Seth Hellman. Rabbi, we had a little bit of technical difficulties. <laughs> See, the rabbi has an old Windows computer and has chosen to not update said computer, or sorry, not turn off, well, probably both update or turn off the computer for the last, in his own words, three years. And so when his computer froze today, it turned off and needed to do updates. So it was trying to update a system that hadn't been updated in three years to current version. So we were supposed to start 40 minutes ago, and now we're starting. Okay, so a couple of things. First of all, I don't know for sure if it was three, three years or not. I, that was just, I, I don't know how the computer works. But what actually happened was... <clears throat> I tried to turn it off and turn it on again, and it wasn't really working. So what I did was I pulled the plug on it. I think that got the computer very upset. <clears throat> and when I plugged it back in, it, was, it wasn't happening so fast. So of course, we immediately related this to Rosh Hashanah. Because in a sense, what happens is, this is fascinating. According to Kabbalah, what happens is, the night of Rosh Hashanah, when Hashanah comes in, until the blowing of the shofar, there's like, Hashem sort of recedes from the world. Like he's saying, I don't know if I want to have this world or not. Now I say this world, I mean all of creation. And then when the Jews blow the shofar in the morning, then Hashem, that renews Hashem's desire for the world and gets re-energized. Now of course, there's got to be some kind of reserve energy that keeps the world going. That's already explained as external, internal, whatever. But the most internal drive of the world has to be renewed every year, and that's what happens in Rosh Hashanah. Now, of course, this year, Rosh Hashanah comes out on Shabbos, so we don't, even blow, the, we don't blow the shofar on, on, on Shabbos. And so that's a whole other understanding, because the simple reason is we're afraid that someone's going to carry a shofar to, to uh, an expert to teach them how to do it. And so they'll transgress a prohibition of carrying from a public domain to a, a private domain to a public domain, or carrying it in the street for cubits, whatever, whatever the specific carrying prohibition is. And Chassidus goes wild on that. So what do you mean? <laughs> because we're afraid of some, some yosel, who's going to carry the shafer, nobody shows the shafer. So a whole year, every single, every other year, we tell people, you got to hear the shofar, it's amazing, the whole mitzvah, the days, the shofar, the shofar, the shofar, come shops. No, 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 no shofar. No shofar, no shofar. So it explains that Shabbos has that extra power when it comes out on Rosh Hashanah to reinfuse the world what it needs without the blowing of the shofar itself. So that's a pretty fascinating idea. But the whole point over here is that the world does get unplugged and has to be replugged in. And that happens through what we do. Now, while we're on the subject of the shofar, you know... Connie and I are working really hard to get ready for Rosh Hashanah, right? You've got to buy food, you got to cook it, you got to this, you got to that. I'm out there on campus every day, you know, meeting kids and, and uh, trying to be nice to them and trying to get them trying. to sign up. Emphasis on trying. I thought I'd get that past you. I'm trying <laughs> to get, get kids sign up and consistently people, you know, or people signing up, they're coming the first night, Rosh Hashanah dinner. The, the, you know, it's just uh, Russian dinner is like I don't know. It's like the 
it's, it, it's, it's important, it's valuable, it's celebrating Rosh Hashanah. But if you're not going to come to Shul the next day, if you're not going to come Sunday, so all the Shluchim, right, on campus are like twisting themselves into pretzels. How do we get kids to come on Sunday? They know the first night. The first night they'll come. What do you call it? The brisket, dinner, blah, 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 right? So that's, that's not a problem. How do you get them? They can be, they say, okay, come tomorrow. Come tomorrow, like normally. Come tomorrow, you hear a show for now. Now I got to tell them, come on Sunday. Now the, the intention span and the memory of a student is that big. So they're going to they're gonna come back on Sunday. So now we got to like throw them some kind of brisket, roast beef, pastrami, bologna, whatever it is. Get them to come back Sunday for 10 minutes. Just show up for 10 minutes, hear the shofar. That's all we're trying to do. So it's a little, it, it's, in some ways, it's, it's frustrating, you know, because the, the amount of ignorance out there is, is appalling. Like, it just, it, it just, it just it, there's a lack of understanding of what Russian really is, like, like a lot of things. And that's really, you know, our job is, is to educate, educate, educate. It's not even, it's not a question of convincing anybody of anything, just educating people what, real, what is Russian really all about. Well, I think that, you know, part, the, there are two things to this. First off, you know, the, the shulchum get frustrated, but what is your solution? You walk around on campus on Sunday with a shofar and you blow your shofar for people. So it's not, it's not like you're just sitting around all frustrated because there are people that aren't coming. Right, no, no. I was, I was suggesting that the frustration changes our mode of behavior at all. Right. Just the opposite. It gets even more. But in my head, it's like, you know, I'm talking to a person, I'm being nice to them, and like, oh, that's great, it's wonderful, da 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 like, and I want to say, dude, do you have any, and I don't say that because they don't know. I understand the problem. The problem is they don't know. They don't know that, you know, the first night is wonderful and good to celebrate. It's, it is important to celebrate Rosh Hashanah. You know, it's a yantiv. It's fine. It's great. Shabbos. It's great. It's wonderful. But then like, uh, what don't you, what don't you get here? Anyway, that's well, just. I mean, the, the, the other thing too is that like. You know, and granted, this is my own experience, so it doesn't necessarily draw to other people. But growing up, we would always go and miss school for the first day of Rosh Hashanah, but we would never skip school for the second day. My parents might take off work for both days, but we wouldn't miss two days of school in a row. Um, and so I think that was a pretty... I was not the only kid that was doing that who would only show up for one day and then they'd go to school the second day. And I think that there's a lot of, a lot of people that... You know, with the holidays where it turns into a two-day thing on the front end or the back end of it. Less so, I think, with Pesach, but very much so with Rosh Hashanah. They view the second day as not as important. Right, right. I mean, we, we know, halachically speaking, that, that, that would be true. You know, if, not, you know, if someone said to you, I'm going to do one day, you would say to him, keep the first day. And that's why every young of you would say that. But... Um, yeah, but especially this year, you know, you have the show for experience at least. You know, people will come. The other thing that's going on here is a transition. Transition. You're you retired. graduated. Did you, did you notice that you that you graduated? Yeah, I did notice that I graduated. It, it feels very odd to not be in the Chabad house for for Rosh Hashanah. Wait, well, I already told you, you can come back. It's fine. Fine. Yeah, well, I, I think I'm going to New Hampshire for Rosh Hashanah, but I might be in town for Yom Kippur, so we'll we'll talk oh, more great. after the podcast. For yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out your life later. Anyway, <laughs> but, the, but that idea is, so I was talking, you know, it's like the first, second Shabbos, and, you know, who's there and who's not there? And uh, so I, we, we name drop here. So Zev is like all, you know, 
to doodle, where's Yona Baruch? Where's Yona Baruch? And I'm like, okay, enough with that. I know, but, but you know, in his mind, like, there's some there's an essential part of the Chabadas is missing. And so in, I started thinking about how I deal with it. And basically what I do is I put all the alumni, recent alumni from last year, I put them into a, into a black hole. I don't, I, don't, I don't think about it. I don't think like, oh, if this would have, if, if we're so-and-so, I try to focus on the people that are in front of me and try that because that's the reality now. Like, like we were tabling yesterday on, on, on the uh, Marsh Plaza. You know, we have, and so who was there? Well, Zev was there. He's, a, you know, he's there. And then Jake, our, our new president, was there. You know, so I'm looking at the new people. You know, who's going to be here? Nothing. Oh, I wish so-and-so. What, 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 what. And I, I think that's, that's an, you know, an important transition. You know, forget about what happened last year. Focus on what's here right now. And then the third phase is to be able to go back and actually, how are you doing with the, old, with the alumni? What's going on? You know, that kind of stuff. I think that's, that's you know, the three part that, that work with, with our alumni. You, you've I, only so, partially thrown us into a black hole, though, because I'm still getting the emails inviting me to the class on Wednesdays, so. Yes, that's, you know, you can go to class anywhere on Wednesday, but, um, but yeah, that, that, yeah, we got to start moving people onto the alumni lab, whatever. We'll take care of that sometime. But, um, Oh, let's, let's talk about this. Since, you know, since you did mention that there's been the transition and the people who graduated and stuff, obviously the school year started. So, how was the first Shabbos at the Chabad House? It was nice. We had we had new people. You know, there's, there's you know, Hashem keeps us busy. A couple of like people interested in getting involved, and you know, I told that story. You read the story of the that's filling from Jerusalem. There is an addendum to that. Uh, and I was telling this to, 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 well, you'll see who I was telling you to. So what happened was, so now he's getting a period to film. That was the whole point, to get him a period to film. So, you know, we've got Chabad on campus is, is graciously sponsoring, you know, ha- half of it. So he says, you know, I think my father, you know, has some kind of opinion on what kind of film I should get. So, of course, I'm a little shy to talk to parents because they don't usually like me that much. I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, you know, I'm going to get a heart... Oh, which reminds me. Okay, well, I'll tell you that later. Anyway, remind me about parents. So anyway, so he says something like, "I don't really want to talk to his father because I don't, I don't want, I don't need anybody's opinion. I know, you know, gets filling. On the other hand, maybe he has a specific custom how you know how he does, and he wants his son to do the same way. So I said, "All right, let's call him." So he called his father, and you know, we're talking about. He said he don't, he doesn't want to have Sfarts filling. I'm like Ashkenaz, we use Ariza, whatever. And I'm like, he says, as I said, I'm thinking I'm going to do Chabad does the Ariza, and usually, and, and he says, yeah, that's probably the one I, you should do because that's where I got mites filling. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's good. So he says, yeah, that, and he tells me the whole story. He actually met his wife. At a, not, a, not a Massachusetts, a different state. He met his wife there at some Chabad function. And so I'm like, okay. And then they moved from that place, that city to another city, and they were connected to Chabad, and they moved to a different state. Also in Chabad, it's like, all right, so this is a whole Chabad family. For whatever reason, his son didn't appear at film, but he was, his father was like so on board that, you know, that was, it was amazing, it was beautiful. And then to see this whole connection. And not only that, but then... And after that, we called his mother, whatever, I think his mother called him, whatever, we were speaking to his mother. Anyway, and so she's talking, then she's talking about her oldest son that's in our appearance, Philin, and he's in school 
somewhere else. So after the phone call, and she says, you know, he's a little different, he's not so into it, da, 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 da. I said, don't worry, I'm going to call the shliach and just say, I'm going to tell him the truth. Not the whole truth, but the truth. I'm going to say that, tell, tell this kid that his brother is in the Chabad house by me, I called you to tell him about it, and leave the mother out of it. So there's no untruth going on over here, you don't have to reel everything. And so I started telling this shliach that, you know, I've got to tell you this story, about this kid that was in Israel. He said, and he cuts me off. He says, what do you mean? I listened to the postcast. I know that part of the story. <laughs> so there's somebody listening. So that was, that was pretty amazing. So the other alumni story was this kid that, that graduated a solid 20 years ago, I believe. It's a long so, time ago. I don't think I was out of diapers at that point. I was probably still in the, in the, in the, in the pull-ups. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. So um, I was like three so years old he, twenty years ago. He, sa- he, send, he sends me a a, uh, a photo, a screenshot of his conversation with his mother, and his mother and father are here in Boston, visiting some cousins or something, and and they're talking about where he used to live. He used to live on Beacon Street, like. 500-something Beacon Street or 800-something Beacon Street, whatever it was. And he says to his, his parents, like, go, go, go visit the Chabad house. They renovate it. Go see what it's like. And so then, five minutes later, a screenshot of a picture of the front door of the Chabad house. But they didn't go in. So he, he calls me. The kid calls me. And I say to him, well, he's not a kid anymore. He calls me and says, oh, you know, my parents are in Boston. Well, I'm actually on campus now. So even if they went in, they wouldn't be able to meet me. I say, fine. About a half an hour later, this couple walks by, this older couple, and I look at them and, I, and my mind, and I, and they said, oh, we're Richard's parents. And I said, yeah, I know, I know, and I was, you know, I'm not surprised. I just paused because we call him Aryeh, that's his Hebrew name. They, they're still calling him Richard. So I said, I, I knew that, I just had to translate from Aryeh to Richard, and, and they, they put it in. So that was a wonderful, very nice meeting up with them. And, and they remembered that I had flown to his wedding in Washington, which I wouldn't miss. He was very close to us and, and still is. So that was a beautiful thing. So they were happy parents. And, and somebody else was standing, I was talking to a student, and they start going on and saying like, oh, that he was very close to the rabbi and da-da-da. And, no, and there was no negative feeling because I think when he first, you know, I, I think with time, here is the key. Key is this. Anybody out there who's listening to this, you included, if your parents have any issue with becoming more observant, more Shomotara mitzvahs, there's one solution to the whole thing. Get married and bring home grandchildren. Uh. Once they see your family and they see the grandchildren, no more complaints. Because they'll see the beautiful children, Kainahara, and a lot of them, God willing, then... Everything is fine, and they see, you know, they, you know, they think what's going to happen. He's not going to have a job. He's not going to this, not that. Once they see that things are flowing well and everything is going on, everything works out. So that was what's going on. So what? What's the? I, I mean, what? What are some like Chabad things for Rosh Hashanah? I know that like Chabad doesn't do the bread tossing, right? For for, for Tashlik on Sunday, right? So that's you just kind of go and you look at the water. And you read the words, and then that's kind of it. <laughs> but is, 
What, what else is there? Is there anything from the Rebbe that the Rebbe used to like to do? Or there, there, uh, yeah, one second. There, there is an issue with, with the bread because you feed, not supposed to feed wild animals on Shabbos and Yantik, whatever. So we don't do that. But it's, it's interesting that you mention that. People think that this is all planned. We plan nothing. I was like running crazy today and it was even late to, to, to for an appointment and then the computer didn't work. But during our, you know, we have this Thursday night thing where the Shluk, uh, campus shluchim are um, learn, a sikha, learn the weekly sikha of the Rebbe that everybody's learning and then there's a Fabrengen afterwards and so the guy, you know, there's like one guy, one nudnik who like organizes the Fabrengen, you know, keeps it going and the whole thing and sends the messages and all that. He says to me, would you, could you come on tonight by the Fabrengen and talk about what it's like being by the Rebbe for, for Rosh Hashanah? Or are you I'm the like, old man of the group? What, what, what did you say? Are you the old man <laughs> of the group? Well, I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> older, I'm older than them. And so I immediately started thinking about that, you know, because I don't think about this usually, but I'm thinking, because like they're, they're colleagues, you know, you know, we talk about the Red Bone, talk about, you know, different things. And, and you know, when, when that happens, like it, it like sort of brings that into focus. Like, yeah, these, there are guys there that, that weren't never there. And to me, that's like, because to me, the time, the, the time span since I was by the Rebbe until today, it, it, I don't think about it. I just don't think about it. It's like, it's like yesterday. It's like, you know, because it's, it's so vivid. And when I moved to Boston, so I wasn't, you know, I moved in, we moved here in 1985. So, you know, there was five years, seven, five, seven, eight, you know, nine years that we weren't in 777 anyway. So then... You know, it became a memory from the first year we're here. So every year that I'm here, it's just, it's a memory. And, but, you know, if it's a vivid memory, time doesn't matter how much time passes. But when somebody says something like that, I'm, I realize, like, oh my golly, you know, these are, these are people that never, never, were never there, never saw it. So it's all, you know, what they hear, what they read about, it's all they know about it. And so, yeah, so, so I, was, I was sharing with them, you know, what it was like. And then, and after I did that, it's, it, it didn't get away from me. And I'm like, I'm thinking about it more and more. Like, like I'm, I'm missing it. You know, now I'm thinking about, wow, it, is been, it has been a long time. And, I, you know, how much, how precious it was. You know, all that kind of stuff. All that emotional stuff, I try, which I try to avoid because I got to focus on what I'm doing. Not getting emotional and feeling, you know, all this stuff that goes on. But, um, so I, what, what, to answer your question now, Rosh Hashanah by the Rebbe, or in, in general, all the holidays of Tishrei, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and Kostaira, by the Rebbe was like, is like a different level. It was different, you know, it was, it was the, there's Rosh Hashanah, there's Rosh Hashanah by the Rebbe. There's Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur by the Rebbe. Sukkot, each one of them had that unique quality of the, what the Rebbe was doing at that time. So they want to talk specifically about blowing the shofar. Now, Sem, Rosh Hashanah by the Rebbe starts before Rosh Hashanah because everybody would give in a note in, you know, in I don't know if you put an envelope maybe maybe, maybe not would we'll give it to the Rebbe the Rebbe would stand by his door of his, of his room and would you can see these videos and people would walk by and give the Rebbe a note and he would like take it and put it into his hand and then when it was full he put it down he'd step into his office put it down on the table or something and just and it's each one who would say Tanatai Masukah Tanatai Masukah Give everybody a little bracha and, and, of course, make eye contact. I don't know if I mentioned that, but whenever the Rebbe gave something or took something from people, he always made eye contact. So it would be 
literally looking, you know, he wouldn't be taking it from the hand and, 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 and giving that little bracha. So that was Erev Rosh Hashanah. And then we would all go to the oil, which was then the oil of the previous Rebbe, and the Rebbe himself would, would go then as well. And so, and that was before Rosh Hashanah even started, so Erev Rosh Hashanah was already a busy Rebbe day. And then the blowing of the shaifer was one of those events that nothing comparable ever happened during the year. What I mean to say is that in general, the Rebbe did things very modestly, like when he davened. When he davened, he suddenly davened. There was no motions, like, you know, he's trying to, none of that. There was not, nothing like that. Literally would sit and daven, and even, even the shaking was very, very slight, if at all. Like even by the Amidah, I don't believe the Rebbe would move during the Amidah. He was pretty much focused on, you know, he had the sitter in front of him on his, on his shtender, on his lectern, and he davened. And there was, no, there was no external anything going on. When it came Rosh Hashanah, we saw this external, and, so, and throughout the other holidays we'll talk about in, in the upcoming weeks, there was this expression of emotion. So when it came to blowing the shofar, there was like this something, something like we could see what was going, something was going on. We just can figure, you know, we have stories of great tzaddikim figuring things out or setting things up, arranging things in heaven, and that seems to be what was going on. And but and that's why people would would, would want to go to seven seven, not just to hear the rev below the shofar, which you blew the shofar, which is long, fantastic, but blowing the shofar is blowing the shofar, you know. So there's little nuances, how many, how long, how loud, but but it was a preparation for the blowing the shofar. Because the Rebbe would take those notes that were given to him before Rosh Hashanah, and I guess the people that helped him out as assistants, would take them out of the envelopes, and if, some, if somebody put money in, they'd have to separate the money, and put the, get these brown, this brown wrapping paper, and would put them in and bundle them up and tie them up with rope. So he had like a package, like that, of, and, and like there was three, four, five of them. When the Rebbe would come out for davening, Two, these two Gabayim, Rabbi Klein and Rabbi Groner, bless memory, would carry them down and put them in a table near the Rebbe Daven. And then when the Rebbe got Daliyah to the Torah, which is Maftir, they would follow with those packages. And after the Torah reading and the Torah, then get ready for blowing the shofar. So they would put the packages on the bima, And the Rebbe would take his talus and put it over all of them and would like lean down on the bima and would do some kind of davening. I never heard anything. You see the people on the beam were trying to like, listen, what is the Rebbe saying? Or sometimes it was, it was crying. It was something, something was going on there. And, you know, and you knew that your name was in that package that the Rebbe's talos was covering. It was an incredible thing. Like, we know that this is amazing. We, can't, we don't you know, describe what happened. I don't know what happened. The Rebbe's dominating. And then he would pull back his talos and he would start saying, the, the psalm that you say seven times, and then he would put his towels down and say the psalm. Then he would pick it up again, complete the seventh psalm, lead us in the seven verses that come, or eight verses that come before the blowing of the shofar, and then blow the shofar. And even that, there was different shofars, and there was a sort of some kind of inherited um, cloth that they would cover them with. There was all kinds of different stuff, you know, which shofar did he use and all that. But that was, that was just an incredible... Um, uplifting spirits, you, you know, when you can feel and, and see the spiritual element that's going on by the Rebbe, which is very unique. And that was, um, you know, I, I think every Lubavitcher who was ever there, before they blow Shofar, they pause for a moment and they 
imagine like they're standing there and try to channel that energy, you know, that as a shliach of the Rebbe, trying to like, okay, we're doing, we don't know what you were doing there, but we're doing what you told us to do. And like, you know, gather up all the little sparks that we're elevating them, bring them up to Shabbat and, and put them into place to get us a good new year for everybody. Then there's another thing, which is, which is that after the, the one who blows the shofar, he walks back to his place in front of the shul, and then he turns around and faces everybody, like makes like a, a, a circle. And the Rebbe would do that. He would go back to his beam, all the way in the front, his, his place that he had in the front, and he would pull back his tile like this, and like he would go, make a complete 360-degree circle. As after he's, everybody's at the beam, we read the Torah to be close to the Rebbe when he's blowing the shofar, then they rush back to the front to be able to see the Rebbe turning around, and that it's like a face, it's like it's an expression of overwhelming love. So now these are just little, you know, not little, but these are some of the things that happen in Russian. Then, of course, the second day of Rosh Hashanah was a Fabrengen, and then Kaisho Brach afterwards, they were able to distribute the wine. So this was, um, this is something that we talk about spirituality and something more than just, you know, just doing it, even though we know it's a mitzvah and we study all the reasons for blowing the shofar, but, like, to be uplifted, and that was really the experience of being with the Rebbe at blowing the shofar. It was like an uplifted experience. So, yeah, that's... Um, that's that. <laughs> you can only imagine. It sounds like an incredibly powerful experience. Yeah, and, and, and people crowding around the bima. They get there early in the morning and they'd be jammed in. It's a whole thing, but... Um, yeah, and, that, and, that, and to imagine now, you know what I mean? Can I know Like, in front of 770, like in the service road in front of 770, they, they put up this long tent, like about, a, about 100 feet long, and it covers the whole... You know, there's no, no cars there. That's for the overflow crowd. And this year, I understand they put up not a tent, tent cover, but glass walls. <laughs> <laughs> and people daven there and learn there. That's how many people can I know that come to 770 for, for even today for Tishrei, you know, for the holidays, to be in the, near the Rebbe's place. Um, yeah, so they have this overflow crowd thing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So I, I think... Um, yeah, I think it's important for everybody to like try to get a little bit deeper into Rosh Hashanah. Yes, the meal is important and whatever else you're doing, but you know the, the shofar blowing, the mitzvahs, the davening. You know, focus a little bit on the davening itself. You know, you say the words a little bit slower than you know, and like focus a little bit and try to you know get into the mode of mood of it, and uh, it'll be a powerful and successful Rosh Hashanah. Amen. I think that's all the time we have for episode 21 of the Posecast. Thank you for joining us. Have a happy and sweet new year. Gamar Hasimatova. Everyone, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. And next year. Uh (laughs) Aha.